Welcome to the Optimist Chronicles, your emotional safe space to be who you are, explore who you are, and feel all of your feelings. I'm Anna Marie Green, your host, clinical therapist, emotional wellness coach, and soul-led optimist, here to bring you all the topics to help you become more of yourself and see life in a more positive view. Are you struggling with your anxiety or feel like it's difficult to understand your own emotions or how to change your behaviors? to create the life that you want. I've been there and I've created services that will specifically help you to create a blueprint or to just provide you with the guidance to help you change your life and finally understand why you're experiencing life the way that you are right now. If you have a specific thing you want to work on, I highly recommend my event sessions, which are 30-minute sessions where we focus and dive deep onto one specific topic. Check out my website online today for more information. Enjoy today's episode. Let's get into it. Hi, and welcome back to episode two of the Optimist Chronicles. I am so excited for today's episode. So, I talked and teased a little bit about it in last week's episode, and I've also been talking a lot about this topic on my social media. Um, If you follow me on TikTok or Instagram, it's been something that I've been making reels about, all that kind of stuff. Today, we are talking about anxiety and its five languages. And this is my favorite topic for a couple of reasons. First, um, as a therapist and also as a coach, the number one thing that I work with clients on is anxiety. And over the last two years, I have gotten really well acquainted with acquainted with anxiety personally and professionally. And it has led me to conceive and birth these concepts um, and framework for anxiety. And so before I get into the you know, the bread and butter, uh, the meat and potatoes, uh, if you will, of this topic. I kind of wanted to give you guys a rundown of of the episode so that you know, you know, what you're getting into. So I'm going to start off with kind of going through the history, how I created these, why and what I was seeing. And then we're going to go into what is anxiety, why it shows up, and also a reframe of how in this space, how we view anxiety. Hint, it is not your enemy. We do not dislike anxiety in this space. So sit tight and I hope you enjoy this episode. Have you struggled with anxiety for most of your life? Or your anxiety is getting to the point where you're so overwhelmed? Maybe you've been in therapy before and it maybe created some results for you, but you still don't really understand why it keeps showing up for you. Well, using your anxiety language is such a powerful thing because it will help you to read, not only to rediscover yourself, but finally be able to break behavior patterns and negative thought patterns that you've been stuck in for years. On August 1st, I open up enrollment for the five anxiety language coaching program, which is a six month program where we dive deep into your individual anxiety language and we follow the path back to process those Um, deep emotions and rediscover who you are. Check out my website to learn more today. So what is anxiety? So for many of you listening, anxiety is that super annoying thing that you get when you're super worried or you're uncomfortable or maybe you've had some difficult things in the past so you constantly worry all the time. It is something that you view as a thorn in your side. It's an inconvenience. And usually by the time that we people um, decide to go to therapy or decide to get outside help with managing our anxiety, it has hit this very physical level for us, which means we're having panic attacks. You know, we might get like that pit in our stomach, um, inability to eat, struggle sleeping, we're waking up feeling so anxious, like but we might not even want to wake up. Like we might just wish we could stay sleeping because we're just so worried. We're so fearful. We just have this fear that something's going to happen, even if there's really no evidence of it, like in front of our faces, um, or even if there is, you know, so we view it as this terrible thing that just needs to be dealt with so that we can just go through life the way that we think that we need to. And I have been there. Trust me. I cannot tell you how many times I've woken up super anxious with a pit in my stomach and just wishing I could go back to sleep so I could stop feeling that way. But like I said earlier, 
in this space and from what I have learned, anxiety is not our enemy. The enemy is actually what causes the anxiety, which is a deep disconnect with our true and authentic selves, essentially with a disconnect from our souls. So anxiety is actually a really cool element to our humanness. You know, it is another tool that we can use to help us experience life. So just like all the other emotions that we have, anxiety is trying to tell us something as well. Um, And I don't know, I don't remember if I have um, shared what emotions are for and, and how I use it in my practice. So emotions are our soul's way of communicating with us and telling us, you know, what is meant for us, what isn't meant for us, but also it is how our souls experience this earth. Super cool, very deep. It might be your cup of tea, it might not be, but in this space, that's what they are. And anxiety is the same thing. Anxiety and us, we are on the same team. We want the same thing, which is our survival, our own individual survival. So anxiety is this survival tool that we developed when an event or situation forced us to think or to feel um, more so that we are unsafe, either emotionally or physically. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, scientifically, a human's drive and motivation to survive. It's what motivates motivates us. It's a primal instinct, survival, physical survival. But it's the same way emotionally. And a lot of times what I've seen is anxiety comes up even for those situations that were emotionally made us feel in jeopardy. So if, if we, we, it's actually a really cool thing. Um, we love ourselves so much, you know, we value who we are at our core so much, even if we don't feel that way right now, that we would do anything to preserve it. And one of the ways to preserve is if it feels like it's going to be, you know, in jeopardy, either emotionally or physically, you know, whatever, we're going to talk about emotionally in, in this space. Our, our bodies, our brains create things to help us survive. And so with anxiety, it's like this, um, they figure it, our brain figures out a way in which is going to help us survive. And then it's kind of, it's like, okay, Hey, so this is, you know, essentially what the anxiety is saying, Hey, we went through something, you know, um, And for the sake of our own self-preservation, I got it covered for now. You know, I'm doing the things, um, I'm doing the things so that we can just make it, but you're going to have to come back to this, this emotion, this situation, process it so that I don't have to continue taking over. The problem is that we don't know, we don't realize it. We don't explore anxiety enough to understand its true intentions and to understand that it's actually trying to help us. And then we overuse it. We allow ourselves to just live in an anxious state, to live out of our anxiety. Our anxiety is making the decisions. It is It is what we are thinking our personality is. And then, you know, we wonder why we feel so empty or we feel unhappy or why we're all of a sudden, you know, out, air quotes, out of nowhere having panic attacks and having these very physical symptoms where we feel like we have to be medicated or we feel like we're crazy, but really it's just our anxiety is at its wit's end. It it can no longer keep functioning as, as if it is us when it's not. And it's also your, your inside, your true, you truly are its way of trying to bang out. It's like, Hey, you have some stuff you have to work out. When it gets very physical, it is like, we have been trying to tell you for so long that there is some stuff you got to sort through and we need you to go back and process it. And another issue with how I've seen a lot of people approach anxiety, you know, why we, we demonize it is that it went by the time it's getting physical or it's been physical, it's preventing us. Or so we think it's preventing us from living the life that we have decided that we want, or we've been told that we should want. So, you know, I've seen it with so many of my clients. They come to me, they're having these very physical symptoms and they're also like, I worry all the time and I, I can't have relationships and I, and I'm, I'm just constantly stressed out, even though I know that I don't necessarily need to be, and I'm just stressed, even though on paper I shouldn't be. 
Um, they use a lot of shoulds and, and need and, and all that kind of thing. And they just want something. They come in and thinking, I just need something to just help me get through so I can go back to the way that I was functioning. When the way that they were functioning is what got them here in the first place. People aren't taking the time to understand or accept what our anxiety is trying to tell us. But we're not taught to. And it can be hard to understand what something is trying to tell us when we don't even know what language it's speaking or that it's even speaking to us in the first place. And that's just not really how society has taught us to look at anxiety. Even as a practitioner, you know, I was, we're, we're taught, oh yeah, like anxiety is this, this really bad thing. And, and you have to immediately like, just try to get rid of the symptoms, try to whatever it takes. And, and granted, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the different modalities to helping with specific symptoms like spiraling thinking and, um, you know, cognitive distortions, all that kind of stuff. But in general, no one's ever like anxiety is a gift. Anxiety is actually this wonderful, beautiful thing. If we are allowing ourselves to see it that way. And in this space, that's how I want you to see it. Instead of you thinking and feeling like your anxiety means something is wrong with you or that is this it is this thing with preventing you from living the life you want it's not it is your greatest tool to rediscovering who you are and what you actually want out of life and i don't know what's more beautiful than that you have all of the power within your hands already if you have anxiety great and you know that you have it great that's a great that's an awesome first step and that is exactly what you need to figure out how to rediscover your own joy how life is meant to be experienced by you. So just to recap, the optimist view of anxiety on the Optimist Chronicles is that it is a tool. It is your secret weapon to figuring out what you want in life and how to experience true your true inner joy and and the vibrancy of your own life. Now let's get to the very juicy part of this podcast, this episode, the languages that anxiety speaks. So like I said earlier, I discovered these, conceived these. Um, this is like my my baby, essentially. Like I conceived the this idea, the concepts, I, you know, I've carried them and then I birthed them and birthing them. Um, I've actually, I've been working on a book um, and I'm working on getting it published now, but I'm also starting to share this more actively. I've already implemented it in a lot of the work that I do, um, partially in my um, therapy practices, but especially in my coaching programs. So our, the anxiety languages are the ways that anxiety speaks to us individually. Um to understand why it's so powerful and why it's so important to know your primary and secondary anxiety language, think of the five love languages. That book totally revolutionized the way that we understood how we existed in relationships, how we communicated, how we interacted with others, and how we how we became more of ourselves in relationships after having that knowledge put in front of us. Even though we had the information right under our noses the whole time, we were still kind of unable to make that connection until somebody like was like, hey, this is the thing. And so like take this thing and like be yourself in, the, in relationships. And, you know, as I was working with clients and I would say like, pfft, 90 to 95% of my clients in the last two years have all had a form of an anxiety disorder. And I was looking around and I was like, nobody's talking about this, but like anxiety is, is saying some very specific things in very specific ways. And I've seen it and I'm seeing it with over like, I mean, now I've seen it with over a hundred different clients, but at the time I was like, I've seen 30, 35 clients a week and I was like, no, nobody's talking about this. I've 
I went online to try to research and, and stuff. I was like, somebody's got to, you know, somebody's had to have made this connection and nobody had, and there was no information on it. There was like some light things of like, this is anxiety. This is not anxiety. These are the different ways that anxiety can show up for you, blah, 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 blah. And we talked a lot about the symptoms and what the symptoms, you know, could do their impact and like it, that it, you know, anxiety can be linked back to trauma, but nobody's really talking about what it, what the anxiety was trying to tell you. You know, it was just kind of trying to talk about how to get rid of the symptoms. And so I started writing down common things that I was seeing, breaking down the things that I was seeing, breaking down the symptoms, breaking down some of the like root causes that I had helped clients work through and also breaking down what anxiety was because I was like there's there's a simpler way to do this there just is Uh, if there's one thing I learned about therapy is that most things can be broken down into a very simple like need or desire or um like concept and I one of the things that I am the best at (laughs) within my my field is helping clients see who they are, where things are rooted in, and getting to the root of things very quickly. I think I talked about it in the first episode, but I've definitely been talking about it in some of the different marketing stuff that I've been working on that's going to be coming through the pipeline soon here. But that is my that is my superpower, is that I can unearth things within... Oh my gosh. So just quickly, like a, depending on the conversation and then in the environment, you know, I can get to a root emotion within a, from a conversation to, you know, a couple sessions. That's what these languages do. You know, they're a tool in which I can help you guys recognize exactly where to go, how to use your anxiety to follow the breadcrumbs because that's what anxiety it leaves the breadcrumbs and the languages are and the way that they're expressing themselves are essentially the breadcrumbs that you need to follow to find out what event like separated you severed you from from yourself and what emotion is trapped that you are now holding inside of you not processing that's preventing you you yourself from experiencing life and forcing your anxiety to experience life and make the decisions And a big thing with these languages is it totally changed the way that I saw myself and how I approached my own anxiety and my own self-discovery path. Once I was able to understand how my anxiety was speaking to me, I was able to go back through different events and understand why I was making certain decisions you know, why, what was driving me, what was motivating me, but then why I also still felt empty or dissatisfied or embarrassed or all this pressure, constantly stressed. Um, But it also gave me my power back instead of using anxiety as like a reason, another, another notch on the belt of what's wrong with me or, you know, why I'm not lovable or why, you know, what, whatever my, my root causes of things it all of a sudden was like, oh my goodness, forgive yourself. (laughs) I was able to forgive myself. I was able to accept and love myself because I could see how it wasn't me making the choices. It was my anxiety and it was my anxiety trying to speak to me in these different ways, being like, hey girl, (laughs) I know that you're busy. (laughs) Trust me, I know. (laughs) Um... But when you have time, could you maybe like, maybe we could process some of these emotions because you're, you, you, we want you to live your life. We want you to experience life. We don't want to be driving the boat here um, until, and, and, you know, and it tries to give us gentle nudges. Our anxiety is like, Hey, Hey, whenever you have time, but then like the nudges get more frequent and And then they get more intense because we're ignoring them until eventually we hit this kind of breaking point. And each anxiety language has a like break, um, a breaking point, but like what a breakdown looks like. And we're going to get into all that fun stuff. Love what you're hearing. And are you curious? 
to hear about what your anxiety has been trying to tell you all these years, check out my website today to learn more about the different services and offerings that I have to help disrupt your patterns and reconnect you with joy. Online, you'll find lots of freebies and information on upcoming events and the anxiety link. And remember, August 1st, I start enrollment for the six-month um, intensive anxiety five anxiety language coaching program where we dive deep into your anxiety language and we uncover the path that's trying to show you back to yourself and joy and help you change your life okay so first we have my primary anxiety language the overachiever language so let's start off with talking about some of the um like surface level symptoms that you might see people talking about having. So these are my, these are my peeps and I'm right there with you who like might be considered your workaholics. Um, they might struggle with like burnout, but they also kind of struggle with like needing to achieve things. Um, they usually find themselves needing to be at the top. These are our super like uber competitive people. Um, they are constantly like trying to achieve something. Um, think of like ladder climbing, especially professionally. So the overachiever language, what it does is the anxiety finds safety within and, and survival within um, kind of preset, a preset template um, or a ladder to climb something that society or the community external environment around this person would deem as successful as accomplished um and so the the way that the anxiety is kind of um expressing itself and one one of the reasons that this anxiety language is so over overlooked is because it is a very um I guess productive. <laughs> it's a productive form of anxiety because these people are usually what you would describe as like driven and ambitious. They are the people who are constantly going. They're constantly moving on towards something. They're um, a lot of times they're really motivated by like um, money or just like material things. And although it's a motivator, it is also a trigger and that is that goes for all the anxiety languages one of the things about whatever your anxiety language is something that maybe you would consider like a motivator air quotes is actually like a trigger and it it's at one of the breadcrumbs to follow back so for example making money if you are like i have to have this salary i have to you know this this and this and that is like a motivator for you it most likely comes trickles down to it's also a trigger because there was something about your past where money um, played a role specifically for overachievers um, that made you feel like you were not as valuable you were not as worthy so each anxiety language also has a root or core um, belief that is that they're holding on to that that is the bread and butter of like looking back find like that's what the bread crumbs will lead to because sitting with that belief system that fear um is what will help you find out what specific which specific event which iee which um i'll get into iees in a different episode um but there are they are intense emotional events so which iee is the one that triggered this and then once you have an initial IEE that triggers the you know disconnect with yourself and and your anxiety develops and then starts communicating in the specific language um, it just continues to build off of that so back to my overachievers so over the overachiever language uses achievement to distract from the trauma the emotion your true self so the these individuals with this specific language um, when they're faced with like hardships or a difficult situation that could cause an emotional response they'll find a new goal um they'll try to like fi find a new thing to obtain or to work towards 
um, especially things that others would consider like hard. Um, so one of my big things, um, so I lost my partner in 2019 and I went back and that it was, um, before my second year of grad school and I went, he passed away in May, 2019. And I went back in August of 2019 to school. I moved back to school and I went back with some type of forceness uh, or like force uh, behind me. I, God, I was working. I was in all these extracurriculars. I was like trying to do everything possible. And I was distracting myself socially and physically and financially and like all this different stuff. Uh, but I was constantly working and going and try and like I had this this ladder, these goals, these big long term goals. Another big thing is like having really lo- um, intense long term goals. Um, they also they struggle with self-exploration um because they define themselves based off of these external factors so then which leads us to the breaking point um that they'll usually find themselves or the breakdowns the breakdowns usually come from they've accomplished you know this goal they've climbed this ladder they've gotten this job they've made this salary um they've graduated from school whatever the 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 long-term goal that they are putting all this energy and time into, it gets met. They've done, they've, they've accomplished it. And then they're left with, that's right, crickets. They're, they're not left with too much because, and normally what happens is the things that they thought they were working towards and they were like, I will, you know, I'll feel happy once I have this, or I will, I'll deal with everything once I, I do this thing. And then they did the thing and they've done the thing for a while and they kept putting things off and, and pushing it back and pushing it back. And they're just left with, with themselves. And they don't even know who they are because they've been defining themselves through these external factors for so long, through these achievements. Their identity is their achievements. And that's the thing about our anxiety languages is they're so, they give us such subtle nudges that we forget that they are not, that, that that's not our identity. Um, and we only allow ourselves to experience joy through these very small little moments and not even moments, these very narrow ways. Um, so for overachievers, like they might feel like a second of like, oh, cool. I did, I did a thing. And then it's immediately onto the next thing. And if they don't have a next thing, that's when you start to see these breakdowns. A lot of my clients are these um, individuals in their mid twenties who are having this identity crisis because they don't know who they are. They've spent the last two decades of their life, their entire lives working towards going to college, getting a specific degree, getting a job that pays six figures. And then they got there and then they realized that they didn't, it didn't make them happy. It didn't feel that fulfill them the way that everyone said it was going to, um, the way that they thought it was going to. And all of a sudden they, and all these other emotions also come rushing back at them. All these ones they postpone. So they're, they're stricken with this, you know, either fear or guilt or shame, all these things that they've been pushing off. And also paired with the fact that they don't know who they are. And it's a very, it's a breakdowns for each of these languages is a very, feels like a very intense and crippling thing. They define their value by their productivity and comparing themselves to others a lot. They love, they love, we love, you know what I'm saying? They, we love to achieve things that others feel like they cannot. Here's a good example. So for me, one of my things was like, oh yeah, who cares if something is hard because that's just going to be proof that I deserve what I have more. You know, I was like, I remember in my, um, my grad school essays. But one of the first things I always said about myself was like, I am an African-American, um, disabled single mother. And that was like my jumping point because a lot of people would consider like, that's what they were like, Oh, you're a single mom and you're doing so much and you're this and blah, blah, blah. everything came down like, Oh, you're so, wow. I can't believe you're doing that. And that was the only type of compliment that I would ever accept for the longest time. <laughs> At the core, overachievers, we don't feel safe to connect with ourselves. 
and it usually roots back to some type of IEE where we were forced to disconnect, to fit in, to receive love, or just to survive. So we had to disconnect with ourselves and we had to take on what other people defined as successful because otherwise we feared we would not be valuable enough to be loved, to survive, or to be accepted. So if this is resonating as possibly your primary anxiety language, a good direction to go is starting with trying to connect with this feeling of fear of not being worthy or valued, like not being valued within life, within your relationships and where like the pressure to perform, to be productive, to do these things that you're saying like you should do or you need to do. Where's the pressure coming from? Explanations on the anxiety languages a little bit shorter because I don't want this to be like a two hour long podcast episode. The next ones are is the martyr language. Okay, my martyr friends. So overachiever is my primary martyr is um, my second one, but I also have lots and lots of family members who have martyr as their primary anxiety language. So I'm also very familiar with this one. Also, a lot of my clients have this one as well. So first and foremost, the martyrs, which are similar to the pleasers, but what separates them is the martyrs have this need, not desire, but a need to be doing things for other people. Otherwise they feel worthless, lost, like they aren't being productive or they're not a good person. And here's the big thing with the martyr language. It comes down to this fear that you are not good, that you are undeserving of your dreams, of happiness, of your loved ones, of love, all that kind of stuff. It comes down to this root, this usually an IEE of something that made you feel like you were a bad person. And so martyrs, they give up who they are, you know, their happiness, their dreams to be of service to other people because they feel like they're in this deficit. They feel like if, if they don't, or if they aren't always giving, if they aren't always being of service to other people, that all of a sudden everyone's going to see that they're not a good person and, and essentially not, not love them, not deem them as, as um, being lovable. A big telltale sign for this anxiety language is when you're faced with hardship, do you often say, but I should just be grateful because XYZ or this person has it worse? Do you invalidate your own experience and your own emotions and force yourself to look at other people? If you do, that is a form of, of um, avoiding it. avoiding your own disconnect, your own emotions, your own trauma, which is a way that your anxiety is communicating. And this language, um, value is determined by the ability to give to others, especially less fortunate. So the thing about, um, the martyr language is that it also tends to have a little bit more judgment than like the pleasers do. So there has to be like a there's almost like a qualifying factor of who deserves this like no boundaries service and who doesn't and if they're the person who has the martyr language feels that you are worthy of it they will give without boundaries without care to themselves and they feel that the only way to make up for this deficit of them being a bad person is by giving the up their own dreams giving up their own happiness Um, And then they'll be worthy. It's a really big thing of like earning love, earning the relationships they have, earning the things that they have. And when they do feel happy, they still feel guilty because, well, somebody else doesn't have this or uh, maybe I didn't actually earn this. um, Whatever it is that they're avoiding feeling that makes them think that they're a bad person is really what drives the service and with their breakdowns. So I call it the cycle of making mistakes the martyr cycle Um, what happens is so they're constantly being of service they're constantly giving with no boundaries no no's as much as they can everything that they can they're giving then they're not seeing themselves as appreciated or you know somebody isn't maybe reacting the way that they think that they deserve because they've been giving all of this you know everything everything that they have 
And so then they get angry because, and, and they keep it in until it hits a breaking point. And then they lash out and they lash out in a way that they know will usually hurt the other person or is, is hurtful. Even if they, you know, claim that they weren't, they weren't thinking about it. It was just what they said. Um, because they want the person to feel, to feel shame, to feel the way that they feel. And it also by lashing out, by, by, um, having this outburst that is often hurtful to the other person, it also puts them back into the cycle because it's the evidence they need that look, I am a bad person. Look at what I said to this, to this loved one, this person that loves me, the person that this person that I love, and then they feel guilty about it. And then they feel like they have to make up for it. They have to earn the relationship again. And it puts them right back into the cycle. And it's this loop that just plays over and over again in so many of their relationships, if not all of their relationships. And they, my martyrs tend to feel or be very pessimistic life isn't really about having happiness that, you know, happiness is maybe small little moments. And a lot of times the way that they experience happiness is, is being nostalgic towards the past. They don't actually feel it in the present. And side note, that's most of these languages, pretty much any time that you are living through your anxiety, you're not living in the present. My martyrs are very past oriented. My overachievers are very future, future oriented. All of nobody's really living in the present in any of these languages. Let's go ahead and start talking about the next one. Controller. A controller. <laughs> um, I will admit that in my practice and what I have seen with my own clients, most of my clients don't have controller as their primary. It's usually their secondary. I do have a friend or two who I'm very close with who controller is their primary language. And it has been really interesting. One of my friends, actually, I've been trying to figure out if he is, his is martyr or controller. That would require me to have, have a session with him so I could dive a little bit deeper. But back to my, con- the controller language. So the controller language finds survival through excessive planning and kind of a need to take over. Uh, well, a need to take over or extreme extreme indecisiveness so these are my people who they need to know every single little bit of information and every little lingo every single little bit of information for every possible scenario which is an impossible feat you know we talk about this a lot in therapy the spiraling thoughts there's lots of different you know mindset changes and cognitive cognitive challenging and reframing that you can do for that kind of thing (laughs) these people they need as much information as possible in order to feel like they have control of the situation they have a hard time letting other people well they so it can split up into two sectors kind of this this language there are the people who are find control by not letting anyone else make the other decisions. They have to make the decisions. They have to, they prefer working independently so that they can, they can have the control over, you know, the situation, know all of the potential outcomes. They kind of view people as like, well, that is a a liability essentially, because you don't know what people are going to do. Or they go on the opposite and extreme of like, they hate making any decision because all of the options are overwhelming for them. They think of all the possible options. They take all the information in, but they would rather someone else make all of the decisions for them because that way the pressure is off of them and they can, you know, they can say, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't make the decision. So, you know, whether I'm happy or sad, like it's not on me. They have this intense fear of instability. It, it their root fear is um, the lack of safety, a lack of stability. And they have a fear of the unknown that can cause irritability. A lot of, so some of this like symptoms or like the DSM-5 symptoms you'll find with this anxiety language or uh, the obsess- obsessive behavior, OCD. So find like some of the eating disorders like anorexia in this, in this category. And it's likely developed from a lack of control during an, an IEE. Um, individuals define their value by being able to limit conflict or stress. They see success in themselves as avoiding all forms of struggle and conflict and avoiding like the unknown, being able to predict a, 
a situation is really where they find comfort, which is a really hard thing to to accomplish. They will focus on things or environments where they have or they feel like they have control. So change is a really hard thing for these individuals. It's hard for all of us, but these individuals will avoid it like the plague. And they'll say, and like I said, they'll either avoid making decisions like the plague or they will avoid letting other people make decisions like the plague. And one of the reasons why is they learn to cope. They learn to protect themselves by making decisions and focusing on the things they were able to control or manipulate. The people that I'm thinking of who have this as their primary, I have very specific examples used from a book. So, but I don't want to repeat that for here. So I'll kind of let that be and we'll go to the next language. So the next language is my pleasers. Now this language is very similar to the martyr language because these individuals have like no boundaries. (laughs) Absolutely none. They say yes or they will, you know, do what other people need. But the difference is that Martyr, the martyr language, the people who have the martyr language are a tad bit more judgmental um, and they want to keep the relationships that they have. While pleasers will, when they have their breakdowns, they will sever a relationship. They'll just be like, no, I'm done and move on. These individuals, a lot of times you'll look back and they'll kind of have a history of like unstable relationships. They really struggle with having like close relationships. And one of the reasons why is that they tend to mirror what other people want or what other people are looking for or just mirror the other person as a way of surviving, as a way of feeling accepted. And especially these individuals tend to like idolize the people around them because, and they'll pick people who feel like you know they wish they wish that they could show up in the world like this person like their friend or like this whatever this specific person but when that person acts in a way or treats them in a way that isn't really aligned with that or you know hurts them or triggers this the their root fear of being abandoned they will try to abandon them first these individuals and and There's lots of ways that that can kind of come about, but these individuals, something to kind of look for to know if this is your primary language is so A, struggling with the word no and feeling like saying no to somebody is going to like sever the relationship or or hurt the relationship. Another big thing is that they have friends but they usually feel very lonely. Even if they're like with their friends, even if they have lots of friends, they seem like somebody who's very like sociable. And a lot of times these individuals will feel like their friends and their family don't understand them or they're disconnected from their loved ones. And they feel this need to please other people. Otherwise they feel worthless. They struggle with being alone, but they feel lonely at the same time. And they'll actually feel stress around being around other people. These are individuals who I've found will identify as an introvert, even though they're constantly around other people. Um, But they actually like when they are able to kind of when we work through their anxiety language and we start, you know, use I've designed their program and we start working on stuff and we uncover various events and and things like that. And and we reconnect them with themselves. What we've determined discovered is that they're not actually introverts um there a lot of them are actually quite extroverted the issue lies with the fact that mirroring other people and being what everyone else wants you to be and having no boundaries and not letting people know who like not being yourself in these relationships so not truly ever experiencing love for who you are because you're constantly everyone else is exhausting <laughs> and so they they thought that they were introverts because they're like oh i'm so drained whenever i'm around people but it's because they're not actually showing up as themselves and this usually roots back to an ie where they learn to cope by 
focusing on others and depending on them to feel happiness. So they had to learn at an early age that they cannot experience happiness unless it's through another person. And so following that fear of being abandoned back through your past, figuring out what events happened that made you feel that way so that you can start processing those things. Do you like what you're hearing? Is today's episode totally resonating with you and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, yes. Well, there's things you can do right now. If you head to my website, there are a bunch of freebies to help you start your healing journey today. And check out the other offerings I have to help you reconnect with joy and discover yourself. Just follow the link in the podcast description or head to my Instagram today. Okay, our fifth and final language, guys. You made it through. We're talking about the numbers, not to be confused with the word number. When I when I was writing this down, I was like, that word looks so weird. Why does number look weird? <laughs> because it spells the word number. The English language is so weird. <laughs> or I'm just making up words. I don't know. But regardless, it's not number. It's number. This language, I know I talked about the controller being like one that I don't really have a lot of people that as their primary. It's usually a secondary numbers are i see this all the time with clients especially my male clients because this anxiety language is the most uh, i guess what society deems as acceptable for males to experience in in regards to their emotions and like intense emotional events so a lot of most of my my male clients um and my guy friends and guys that i've dated fall in this category for their anxiety And another reason for that, which I'll get into in a second here, is the way that the number anxiety language communicates and finds survival is by disconnecting with the emotions that are like feel threatening to them. But what ends up happening is that you end up numbing everything. And so then they view emotions overall as like negative. And so when you do that, it causes you to disconnect from joy and happiness completely. And that's where you start to see this depressive and start to see depressive symptoms paired with anxiety. So I'll have my clients who have anxiety and depression, this is that usually tells me that they are exhibiting the number as either their primary or secondary language is a lot of times if you if they're having this like I just feel I can't feel anything. I don't feel joy. I don't feel happiness. I'm not motivated by anything. Nothing really drives me that's one of a really a big telltale sign for me so now let's get into specifically what it is so the number language they need to distract themselves in general um, and they can use all different kinds of things they could use substances they could use extracurricular activities other people's problems sports all those kind even working it's normally i usually separate into two kind of dialects if you will for this language is I have my, the people who use substances and the people who don't use substances um, for their numbing. Regardless, both things, when they're faced with hardships, they will feel a need for their vice, whatever it might be. Um, otherwise, they feel overwhelmed. And any emotion that they have to feel without this vice, without this kind of this distraction, they feel immediately overwhelmed and they'll they'll jump on to an emotion that they feel comfortable with for some people it's just like a, a sadness so a lot of times my females that experience this as their primary they'll hop onto sadness because females uh, as a society we're taught that we're like anger isn't really our thing and it's better to be sad than it is to be angry well i've what i've seen with my male clients is that they will immediately like if they have to feel an emotion immediately when they feel overwhelmed they'll they'll just kind of like take on anger like anger is the easiest for them and so then they're overwhelmed with emotion but they channel it through anger and that's when you have like these these outbursts these um these (laughs) really intense situations these individuals spend a lot of time and energy trying not to feel and distracting themselves from how they actually feel who they are um like i said they'll frequently exhibit depressive symptoms because I will say this over and over again until I am blue in the face. You cannot compartmentalize your emotions. It is not a thing that you can do. 
it will spread. I don't care what has what you think has worked and what hasn't worked. It spreads. If it doesn't spread right away, it spreads over time. And to kind of like exemplify this, I dated a guy before and he smoked all the time. And when we were first dating, you know, I ignored it. You know, when you're first dating, you're just like, ah, la, 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 la. And he would try to hide it from me. So we'd be hanging out. I'd be hanging out at his house. And then like I would go to the bathroom and I would come back and I, so I have a really strong nose. I'll just blame it on like when I was pregnant, I don't know, my nostril senses, my my smell increased like tenfold. It's crazy. My best friend will be like, Hey, I think something smells off in the fridge. Will you just like check it out, figure out where it's coming from? And it works like a charm every time. (laughs) Um, anyway, So I dated this guy and he smoked all the time and he would try to hide it from me and I would be able to smell it. And then one day after I think like, I don't know, it must've been a couple weeks. I was like, why do you smoke so much? Because he would take hits all of the time, like secretly of this, of this pen. And I knew it, I could smell it. I don't know if he just didn't recognize that the scent was so strong because like he was smoking all the time or, or what, whatever. Um, or he thought he covered it up or he thought, cause he took a hit when I wasn't there that I wouldn't notice. We always notice, just so you know. <laughs> but I called him out. I was like, why? What is it? And he was like, oh, I don't know. Just to like relax. You know, it's just, it's a vibe. And I, that was not a satisfying answer for me. I am a therapist. So <laughs> so I was like, well, well, why are you not comfortable with me? Are you not comfortable? You know, why do you need something in order to relax, in order to be yourself? And I kept asking why. I kept dissecting his answers more. And eventually we got back to this root that, you know, he had this, this fear of, of not being accepted of, of all the, these, these insecurities that he was refusing to let himself think about, but he was refusing to deal with. So instead he just numbed it out. And, and he, I don't know if he'd realized before how intense his anxiety was, but it was so much so like he was taking hits several times a day of this pen, um, both when I was around and not around. And I did tell him and, and I tell anyone, I was like, if you are taking, and this is a big telltale sign if for a primary, your, if your primary language is um, number, is if you are taking some form of a substance, like just like randomly to, throughout the day, just to quote unquote relax. So that what that tells me is that you're not comfortable in your own skin. You're not comfortable sitting with your thoughts or sitting with who you are. You need something else to kind of like turn down a little bit in order for you to just live with live within your own skin and and that's a a big thing you know even when I I have clients and and I live in Michigan so cannabis is recreationally legal here which is cool super fun (laughs) and but I have a lot of people who are like oh no it's fine like I it's not a big deal you know it's not it's not meth and I'm like yeah it's not but why don't you like being yourself why don't you why can't you why do you need to smoke every single day and so that's what that can kind of look like even if you are extremely like you go to work you're doing well at your job you're successful at your job all that kind of stuff if you're still you know using it even when I you when I you know want to drink or I want to you know maybe do an edible I have to ask myself like why is it what am I running away from something am I trying to numb something out and that's a kind of a good place to start if if that is you, if that resonates with you. A, another example I have for my non-substance um, numbers is um, I have a male family member who like loves sports. His identity is sports and he he, he zones out on it. And, and anytime that we have something that we're like obsessed with, we we just are focused on that and we can push everything else out. It's usually a big sign that we're using it to numb ourselves. Um, and one of the big things I say about sports, and I can get into this in a different episode, but a lot of times I find with my male clients and, and including some of the males in my family, but as a society, sports is the one place where we allow men to experience emotions and emotions with each other. You'll have individuals who get super angry or sad or like, distraught over their sports team and their sports team's performance. A lot of times, you know, I have clients who come to me and are like, I don't know why I get so emotional and so intense 
with my sports teams, this is a problem because of X, Y, and Z, or this is a whatever. And I have to explain to them, like, this is the only way society has allowed you to experience emotions without judgment. And so a lot of times there's other things going on and then you can numb it out by focusing on like, oh, let's do fantasy or let's like the fantasy league or oh, I'm going to focus on March Madness or whatever. And you can numb all that stuff out because it's helping you focus on something else. It's a distraction. It helps you disconnect with your identity because you can kind of take on the sports and like the sports teams and, you know, being a fan and stuff as your identity. I made this point at a family party once because I was sitting down at a group with a group of people and they were like, oh, psychoanalyze me or psychoanalyze this or what about this situation? And a, a way that I see males express themselves, it was it was asked about how I see a lot of times males deal with these intense emotions. And, and I brought up sports as an example. And my dad was like, whoa, whoa, I don't see what sports have to do with feelings. And I was like, it's fine. It's you're not ready for the conversation and that's okay. And and some of you might not ready be ready to hear that hear this. And that is also okay. Find our emotions and, and stuff in our own time. I just wanted to give you an example of kind of both and how how we can use both the, like substances and non-substances to numb out our feelings. So a lot of times what I find with the breakdowns with numbers is it's a very slow breakdown and it actually can look more depressive. So they're struggling getting out of bed. They're struggling with motivation. They're feeling hopeless. They are feeling angry and irritated or just like super, super sad. And those are what the breakdowns look like for the numbers because they've hit this point where like they cannot numb out anything else. So those breakdowns look very different than everyone else at every other languages because they're struggling to feel anything and any emotion because they've been numbing for so long feels like that. It feels like it feels overwhelming. It feels like they're on the catalyst of the end of the world for themselves that is, that's what it is for them. You know, when we hit our breakdowns, it is our anxiety language and our anxiety kind of like cracking at the seams. And that's what we've built this identity around. So it very much feels like the end of the world. And it can, it's very overwhelming. I think I gave you guys all the kind of like foundational stuff. So now just to kind of like wrap up, um, I wanted to kind of let you know. So the thing about each of these languages is yes, you'll have a primary and a secondary but you can dip into any of these. You know, you're going to see a little bit of everything. It's just kind of like with the five love languages, you kind of see a little bit of like a need or a want for a little bit of everything, but you usually have one or two that sticks out the most, that you identify the most with. Um, and that's the same with this. Um, I will say the difference that I have found is that, so normally you have a primary language that doesn't change too much. It's the way that, that anxiety shows up for you, um, and, and tries to communicate with you because that's where it learned. That's where the habit is. That's where the comfort level is. The secondary, however, I have found that tends to change over the years, um, based off of what layer or what is the most important thing to work on next. Um, so with everything in life, our emotional wellness is layered you know we'll figure something out and be like okay we'll put that to bed and there's another layer of something especially when we've been spending decades and most of our life disconnecting from our disconnected from ourselves trying not to feel our emotions trying to avoid our past and trying to control or fear our future there's a lot of different things that we we need to unpack we need to process and so I found that the primary is kind of changing. So as an example, my primary, or not the primary isn't changing, the secondary is changing, but my primary is overachiever. In the past, traditionally, or not traditionally, um, but historically, I guess, my secondary has been martyr, but it has slipped into like number as my secondary or pleaser as my secondary from time to time. Not usually controller. I don't usually slip into that one as much, um, but it's su super cool because with your secondary changing based off the layer that you need to work on each of these things. And I hope I give you enough of a foundation to start kind of exploring and unpacking, but each of these languages gives you a pathway of what concepts and emotions to, to follow, to, to get back to where 
to meet your authentic self again, where to reconnect yourself with joy, um, how to stop letting your anxiety lead and truly using it as, as a, as a, as a team player in the same goal of your emotional and physical survival. And once you have started using and understanding how anxiety is communicating with you in your primary language, what you can do and what I do is now that you know that that's how anxiety communicates with you and you know anxiety means a disconnect from yourself, you use that as as soon as you start to have those feelings come up or you notice those same behavior patterns starting to show up or a desire to lean on them, you know that whatever environment or person or situation that you're finding yourself in is not making you feel safe, is not meant for you and and then you can determine what your needs are. So for me, for example, whenever I start to, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to do this. And I have to ask myself, what, why do I want to do this? Is it for someone else? Is it for me? And when it is like, oh, well, I think, you know, so, so-and-so will really like, this will make them feel good. This, this will be impressive. This will make people, you know, validate me more. I have to look around and say, okay, why do I feel like I need to be validated? Why don't I, why don't I feel accepted? Um, and, it, and it helps me ask questions so that I can check in with myself so that I can see what it is I really want, what it is I really need. So once you know your anxiety language, it's all you need for your maintenance. You know, we, we talk a lot, um, or at least I talk a lot with my clients about, okay, once we've made progress, once we have accomplished the goals, once we have done the things and they, you know, they're stepping forward more as themselves, they're experiencing joy, they're creating life um, the way on their own terms. We talk about maintenance. How do you maintain this progress? Because life is going to happen. Challenges are going to happen. Difficult situations are going to happen. Things that will shake you to your core. They are going to occur. That is a life thing. And so how do you maintain being yourself and existing as yourself when you feel so scared or when you feel so sad, when you have these intense emotions that will happen from grief or loss or change or whatever it might be, you feeling triggered in a situation and knowing your anxiety language is so powerful and so beautiful because it gives you what you need to maintain your progress, to maintain connected to yourself. Once you are finally able to speak your anxiety's language, you can co-create with it. You don't have to force it to lead your life again. And that's so awesome. I don't want to end this episode without also giving you guys some like some tips on, you know, okay, now you've learned a little bit about what anxiety language you might you might have. Um, and I've and, and maybe you've even gone um, and, and you've looked up, you know, different things on my social media about the different anxiety languages, all that kind of stuff. Now, what do you do? You know, how do I truly find the root? How do I get closer to like the root cause of, of my anxiety, this disconnect from myself? How do I find out what IEE I left myself in? And my biggest and best tool is the why exercise. So essentially what you're going to do is you're going to take a behavior pattern, a thought pattern, an emotion even, or a fear that you have. I think that it works wonders with like taking a fear and then like tracing it down to, or to the root cause or closer to the root cause. And you're going to ask yourself why five times from the, from the main topic. So as a personal example for myself, I don't like, I don't share how I'm feeling with people right away. Why? Because I need to figure out what my emotions are. Why? Because I need to have a together thought um, before I share it with someone else. Why? Because otherwise they may not understand my emotion and they might end up, you know, invalidating how I'm feeling. Why? Well, because that's what happened in the past. Why? Because of A, B, and C. And then it's really, it's breaking down some of the walls that we set ourselves up with um, to kind of cover our track tracks to ignore it. Um, and that's really going to help you with breaking down some of, some of those barriers with seeing where your emotional blocks are, where maybe you've trapped some emotions and what are some of your IEEs to explore. And it's super awesome because you can bring those IEEs 
to therapy and you can process them there and it just helps you see yourself and connect with yourself on such a deeper level doing this exercise. That is all that I have to share today. I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or, you know, you just want to kind of chat about the anxiety languages, you feel like you got a general understanding, but you just want a little bit more information, please reach out to me. I love, love, love talking about this. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to share this information as clearly as I can. I do a lot better when there's like a specific situation. And this is my first time talking about it, you know, nonstop in in a way like this without a specific like person and their personal examples. I hope that this was made you feel seen and understood. I hope it was empowering to learn because that's what I want this information to be for you guys. I want it to be a tool for you to learn in rediscovering yourself, rediscovering your joy because you deserve to be seen. Who you are at your core deserves to experience this life, not your anxiety, not someone else's wants or needs, you. And that's what this tool is for. It is to help you reconnect and start experiencing life on a vibrancy that is authentic to you. I hope that sentence made sense. (laughs) And if you ever feel like you need um, to talk to someone or you just want a little bit more direction in this, um, you need some help working through a specific thing, I have several different offerings um, for how I work with clients. The fan favorite is the event sessions, which are 30 minute sessions to help you work through like a very specific event and problem solve. I would love to connect with you to see how I can best help you in your own personal journey and to help you use your primary anxiety language as a tool for your personal and internal freedom. If you have any questions or any requests for uh, podcast episode topics, reach out to me on Instagram um, or TikTok. I love hearing from you guys and all of your questions. And I really, like I said, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, um, I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about anxiety, but also possibly be bringing on a guest. I haven't decided yet, but I look forward to seeing you again here next week. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. And remember to feel your feelings. Thank you for listening to the Optimist Chronicles. I hope that this episode gave you personal empowerment and the motivation you need this week to feel your feelings and live life authentically. I hope to see you again next week. Remember to like and rate and subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed the information that we talked about today. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you next time.